Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia, and we are uh, going through the book of Genesis. Uh, it's been a time of gap for us, but, uh, but uh, the rest of y'all ended at, uh, we ended at chapter 17 and we're doing 18 and 19 today. It's a, uh, uh, in some ways, a very difficult passage you're gonna, um, that we're going to discuss. Uh, and I'd like to open in prayer that we have the grace to um, understand it and to receive it as God wants us to. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your word, and we treasure your word, uh, which challenges our assumptions of who you are at times, which makes us wonder, uh, what do you intend for us, and what is, your, um, what is our role in this life? Lord, I just pray that as we study it today, that we would uh, understand you more and love you more and love others too. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, the, again, the um, front slide that we have, and uh, again, we uh, I need to update it because we are now in 2021. <laughs> uh, we started in spring of 2020, and now we've gone all the way around, and then uh, we're only 18 chapters in. Um, so, uh, but the key part of Genesis is that God created us in his own image. Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are, we are created by God for community with God. Um, not just community with God, but community inside ourselves as God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so um, we're going to be studying some stuff today that, that again, is very difficult. But, but um, uh, have the grace to um, to listen to me and to take it into your heart and pray about it and see what truth you see in it uh, as God reveals to you too. Um, Genesis uh, 1 through 11 was given, uh, actually uh, Genesis in the first five books of the Bible called, called the Pentateuch, and they were given to the Israelites after being freed from slavery at Mount Sinai. They, they received uh, civil, moral, and religious laws for the community. And Genesis is, has a prologue, and then it has it talks about the creation, um, furnishing of the world, and the creation as mankind as a crown of creation, and then it has the history of the world, the history of God's chosen people, God's story, His history. Um, and Genesis itself is broken into ten different sections. After the prologue, eleven if you count the prologue, Genesis one one through two three. Uh, and the first five deal with what I would call primeval history, before the flood generally, but actually all the way up until the selection of Abraham. So there was one generation, a couple generations after the flood, Noah's sons, and uh, it was Shem, and then, and then Abraham. Uh, uh, from Abraham onward is the patriarchal history. It starts with, as you see here, Terah. Um, but Terah was the father of Abraham, and he started out for Canaan and, and, and stayed in Iran and died there, and then later... Abraham goes onward on that. So this is really the story of Abraham, and then the story of Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And we're going to talk about those as we get along here. Today we're still in the story of Abraham. Um, there's another way to look at this, uh, uh, these, these history things, and that's telling us a story. So we just have come off a, a long break where um, uh, at Christmas time uh, we had a somewhat uh, quieter Christmas because the kids weren't able to come in because of the uh, COVID coronavirus situation, and uh, but we did uh, we did have a small gathering and my my brother's um, daughters were with us uh, the day after Christmas. Two daughters, uh, they sort of make up for the kids that I had that couldn't come, 
And um, I started, we started talking about some of the stories of the family and they were fascinated because they had not been told all the stories, especially some of the stories about their father. And so these are the stories that the Israelites would hear and would really want to know more about and would pour over. They are teaching, they, are, they, are, they do illustrate a life for us, a lifestyles and problems that we face. In fact, that's the major way that we really, we see life is through stories, okay? And these are true stories, they're accurate stories, um, but they're difficult stories in a way too. One of the things I love about scripture is it does not shy away from those difficult areas because if it did, then we wouldn't have instruction for the difficult times of our lives. And, there, and we certainly go through enough of them. It's good to know that uh, we're not the only ones and that there's ways out. So um, here we are going to talk about God visiting Abraham, chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went away quickly to the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf calf that that he had prepared and set it before them. And 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 he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And excuse me, I read and I think as I read in the confuses my reading. Um, so God comes to Abraham. Abraham realizes this is God. It will be clear in, in the next uh, verse, but in the next couple of verses, but, but uh, uh, slides, excuse me. But uh, this is God, and he realizes it, and there's two strangers with him. Angels will find out later, too. And the three men are there, and he rises. He says, quick, quick, come in. And he um, prepares a meal so, for these strangers. And he wants, part of that is to welcome him, the great honor being paid to him by him coming and stuff like that, and also in a sense to retain him because it takes time to eat. So there's this, this, this don't leave me now, uh, and, and he runs out and gets a, gets a feast together and prepares it, and, uh, and the Lord and the angels eat. And uh, then this next slide we see, uh, whoops, I'm sorry, um, I'm now going to go back to uh, an earlier time. Okay, but here is this, this meal, and I want you to notice several elements here. That God comes, the three people, they come to, to Abraham. Abraham sees them, welcomes them, sets them down for a meal, because we want to see that pattern repeated in a bit. But I, I do want to go back 20 years before, about 20 years, somewhere between 20 and 25 years ago, with Abraham and Lot and Sodom, because this is a story, unfortunately, uh, a sad story a story of, uh, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, Lot being caught in the crossfire, so to speak, and Abraham pleading for them. And so I want, I want us to step back to see when all this started. About 20, 25 years ago, Abraham returns from Egypt with Lot. As you call in, in Egypt, uh, Abraham lied about his wife. His wife was taken into the harem, so to speak, with Pharaoh, and uh, not, not actually... Um, uh, slept with, but could have been, and then uh, released, and Abraham went back from Egypt 
with, with great wealth from, from, uh, from Egypt. And uh, he and uh, Lot, Lot was wealthy too. And so they have these great herds in a semi-arid land. It wasn't quite as bad as it is now, but it was semi-arid. And the, the land could not support them. And so we see here in Genesis 13, 8 through 18, then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled uh, among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of the Sodom were wicked and great, sin, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, after Lot separated him, lift up your eyes and look from this place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, we see the last passage, he's at the Oaks of Mamre. If you go back to the slide, it says, The Lord appeared to him by the Oaks of Mamre. So, so uh, Abram's in the same position he was 20, 25 years ago in this semi-arid land. Meanwhile, Lot has chosen the, the well-watered land, the fruitful land, the best of the land, which people say is the younger he should have chose the worst part. But he chose the best part. But he also knowingly chose it, knowing that Sodom was sinning greatly against the Lord. It says this here. And he starts pitching his tent near Sodom. The next time we see Lot, Lot's actually living in Sodom, and he's been carried away in Abram, Abram at, or at the Oaks of Mamre, and he comes and he gets his um, uh, fellow, um, uh, the alliances he has with uh, nearby um, groups, and they attack and rescue Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And this... Next time we want to see Sodom, is, uh, Lot is actually in the gates of the city. We'll talk about that. But I want you to see here that there was a decision made early on. Um, in fact, I was talking with Jose. Jose, he's got, a, uh, uh, he's got a new Bible, and it talked about Lot's third step, uh, you know, third problem. And uh, this is the first problem. He chooses the well-watered land, and he pitches his tent near Sodom. The second problem is he's in Sodom. The third one... He's in the gates of the city, and we'll talk about that. So, um, but now let's switch back to the actual storyline here. Um, the reason I say that and I wanted to go back is because, uh, again, it's been a long gap for me. It hasn't been as long for you, but the readers here uh, were a pre, um, uh, they, they weren't pre, they were pre-literate in some ways, but in a lot of ways they, were, they just didn't have text. So they had to memorize things from their mind. So they would remember all of that prior story. It would have been part, part and parcel of the whole thing. We need to remind ourselves of it. Um, and then, the, then they, said to, they said to him, and that's uh, God and the angels, um, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, God knows where Sarah is. Um, and he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. 
and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Abram was listening, uh, and Sarah was listening in the tent door behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old and advanced in years, and the way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. By the way, Abram was 100 years old, and Sarah was 90 years old. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? You see, God knows where she is the whole time. This is a little, this is sort of like a little, um, sometimes you sort of tease your kids at times like this. It's sort of, I think God sort of just playing the byline to get the story out so they can have it out there and talk. Uh, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So, and, I, and my guess is the tone was pretty much like, no, nah, but you did laugh. It's sort of like, no, no, it's all right. It's all right. Because it was hard to believe. Now, they did believe, okay? And we, we see in Romans that Abraham believed beyond, uh, beyond, his body was dead, but he still believed, okay? And so did Sarah, and they had that child. And, uh, and we're going to get into that next week. We're really going to talk about the birth of the child, okay? This week, we're really covering this story, but Sodom and Gomorrah is the focus, unfortunately, of this. And then there was, uh, we have this, and it's just a delightful story. It's a story that is told over and over again, so much so that when the baby's born, they call him Isaac, which means laughter, because he was a child of laughter. He was a child of joy for them in their old age. Um, so uh, the men then sent out from there, and they looked down, uh, down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. And, um, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice, righteousness and justice, so that the Lord might bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sins is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so we see there's a lot packed in here. Again, I'm trying to go through it at a pace that will keep us engaged and stuff, but you could spend a lot of time thinking about what's going on here. That God says, I've chosen him that he may command his children in his household. Again, this is a responsibility of believers to raise our children in our household um, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God's will prospers when we keep his will in righteousness and justice. And when we don't, we may still be his children, but his way does not prosper. And and our way does not prosper, and our life does not prosper. But God knew that Abraham would direct his children. Not perfectly, obviously, because we're going to see difficulties with problems with Isaac and even more with with Jacob, um, his grandson. But still, he keeps there is the understanding that God loves justice. He loves righteousness. It's what he desires and what he wants us to do. And righteousness and justice are the outgrowth of us being in the community. We are made in a community, and God wants us all to respect one another and love one another and care for one another. And when that does not happen, God is angry. Okay? And that is, that is one of the problems with Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? 
Sodom and Gomorrah is exceedingly wicked and evil. Um, and we'll talk about that in a, in a, in a bit. Um, the next slide. Um, so men turned from there. So the men turned from there and went down towards Sodom, but Abram still stood before the Lord. And so we understand that two of the men, angels, are going down towards Sodom. And we'll, we'll actually, they're called angels in the next thing, but we know they're angels now from the, this next text. And he, Abraham's alone with God. Um, and Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep the righteous away with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. We will sweep them away from the place and not spare for the 50 righteous who are in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so the righteous fear is the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall, you, shall the judge of all the earth not do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And so uh, Abram's left with the decision. Now, now, Abram, I'm sure, had a concern for Sodom as a whole. But I think one of his major concerns was Lot was there. His, 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 uh, his nephew was there with his wife and two daughters. And there was a real concern there. And uh, he knows that Sodom's pretty bad. And by the way, when, when we call these places cities, we need to understand that a city at that time, if you had like 500 people with a wall around it, you would qualify as a city. Uh, the wall, being walled was the big thing. Uh, and 500 was a small city, but it was still a city. Uh, Sodom was probably somewhere between 500 and 50,000. I don't know. Um, we don't know. But if it was 500, this would be 10%. So he's saying, it was 10% of the, uh, of the city. If, if that's their righteous, will that, um, will that, will you? So, so Abram's struggling now with righteousness. Is God righteous? Is he really righteous? Are you going to treat the righteous like the unrighteous? And God says, no, I won't do it for 50. If there are 50 there, I will spare for the, the whole city. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? Very shrewd argument there. All of a sudden he switched from fifty to five. You're going to come just because of five? He almost gets down to the right number, okay? But he doesn't. There's Lot and his wife and two daughters is four. You're going to destroy them five? He's thinking, it's a five. Um, and he said, I won't destroy the city if there's 45 there. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose only 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, Lord, let, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it for 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. What if only ten are found there? And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way after he had finished speaking to Abram, and Abram returned to his place. At the, the possibility of making light of it, um, Abram becomes like a fish haggler, haggler in the market with God, okay? Um, and this is, this is going to be something that, uh, that, that is going to be an interesting part of the story, that, that Abraham argued with God and God gave in. 
and, and God was able to, he got God down to a, a number of 10. So God listens. God listens to our prayers. God listens to our pleas. God wants to answer those pleas. And God listened to him, never, never seeming to get angry. Now, Abraham, each time it goes on, he gets a little, seems to get a little bit more, you know, how far can I push this thing? Because uh, he doesn't want God to say, enough, enough, I'm, I'm, you know. And God never does. God never does. And, and I, I think in a lot of ways, God never does with us, too. He listens. He wants to hear us. He wants, he wants us to come to him. So we, we, now, again, Abram's pleading for something good. Okay? He's not pleading for his own desires. Obviously, his desires are entangled in there because lots in there. But, but um, his, his desire is for righteousness and, and, and the sparing of people that are righteous. And God has said he will do that, and so he does. And so God leaves. And so the story here is that that, uh, that day, I think Abraham's relationship with God was probably deepened quite a bit. Uh, by the fact that God cared enough to have a meal with him, cared enough to, since almost brag before the angels, I've selected Abram because he will follow, he will teach his, his children the right way to go, and then listen to Abram as Abram pleads, you know, and and you got to understand this is not one man pleading with another. This is a man pleading with God, and he knows God will do this. He knows God has the power to destroy a city, and yet he's willing to put his life on the line and talk with God and his relationship with God on that. So, again, God, I think, loves for his children to come to him in honesty with whatever pleas they have. So let's look now at Lot and the, uh, and the angels in Sodom. Then two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, again, first he cast his tent toward Sodom, then he was living in the city when they were carried away. Now he's in the gate of the city. So the gate of the cities where commerce came in and out and people were allowed in and out, it was actually where the elders generally sat, okay? And, and that's in the city. There was no, like, city center. It was very small. The gates were where it was happening. All the new stuff, with the, the gossip was there. The stories were there. And, and he's there at the city gate. He's more, probably one of the elders now in the city. Um, and, uh, and, and you can tell this because Lot rises to meet him and urges him to come to his home. Those are things that an elder would do, a leader of the city would do. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And when you might rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. So here we see... I repeated the story when they came to, um, to Abraham. You know, he sees them. He says, please turn aside and, and, and have a, a need with me. And, and here he actually hasn't spend the, want to spend the night because Lot knows what's coming up. Okay, Lot knows there's a danger in that city square. Okay, and he feels a responsibility to keep these men safe from that. Um, uh, again, why... Most of us know the story about the men coming out and the thing, but why did the Lot stay in a city that he knew was like this? Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but let's keep on going on this. Before the men lay down, the men of the the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. You understand this? Everybody came out. So it wasn't a big time. It was only about five hundred, but all the men came out. 
Uh, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that, you, that we may know them, have sex with them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, uh, let's stop there. There's, there's, it gets worse, but let's stop right there for now. Um, all the men of the city, all the men of the city are out there. They all want to abuse two men, okay? Um, and even if it's 500, it's a couple hundred men out there. You know, maybe, maybe not, maybe it's a smaller town, map, but it's, it's a lot of people out there. And all of them, all of them, there's, there's not 10 righteous in the whole city. Um, all of them want to do this. It's a city that's turned evil, okay? A city that's determined to do what it wants to do. There is no fear of God in this place. There is only a desire to do what I want to do. Um, and so um, Lot comes out and he begs him not to act so wickedly. And then he makes a faithful pronouncement that has cast him in the annals of, of people that are dis- of, of people that people are disgusted with. And, and, just, uh, and he says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man, probably again, 13, 14, 15, young, young girls probably, have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So Lot makes a horrible decision when we talk about choosing the lesser of two evils in his sight. Spare the men who have come over to his side, which he owes, uh, he owes peace to because he did that. And again, I think he knows they're angels too. I think he knows that someone's special. But even if not, he's protecting a Middle Eastern, the, the, the hospitality there. And he makes a horrible decision that, um, to let his daughters go out there. So what's going to happen to his daughters? Well, we don't know for sure. We do know this, that the, the, uh, their fiancés are out in that crowd. We're going to see that in a second. Maybe he's hoping that, that something, that they'll be spared somewhat because of that. I don't know. But in any case, it's a horrible decision. And, and, and probably um, with a high chance of death because gang rape, and that's what we're talking about, could have been, it could, it's deadly, can be deadly. And uh, if nothing else, it's just, just horrible. I mean, just, you can't, you can't, I don't want to dwell, you just can't think of much worse out there, Okay. And so he, he goes out there and, and says that, and um, only do nothing to these men, for they come under my shelter my roof. But they said, stand back. Uh, and they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge, because he was now an elder in the city. Now we will deal worse with you than we will with them. Where are the other elders in the city? They're in that crowd. Um, then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hand, the angels, but the angels reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were in the entrance of the house, small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Now, I will, so so we have this, they grab, reach out and they grab them and they pull them back in and and, uh, uh, they strike the place with blindness. Now, I that, that's a protection for Lot. But it's also a warning to these men. These men can no longer see that. You would think that they would understand something bad is happening here. They can't even find the door. What's going on here? But, but they are so incited and enraged that they, they, can't, they, can't, they can't back down. They, they're, they're, 
they're raring to go, so to speak. Um, so the men, the men, the angels, that is, said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, daughters, or anyone you can save in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we're about to destroy the place because the outcry of his people has become great against the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went up and said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But it seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. So here his son-in-laws are out at that gate. He goes out there, he talks to them, and they think he's making a joke. This is just, it's like the nightmare of nightmares. And as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and take your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. See, even at this point, Lot doesn't want to give up. He doesn't, he's, it, he's become comfortable in a, in a city full of bloodshed um, and hate and strife. He is comfortable. So he lingers. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And as they brought him out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my Lord. So Lot's still overcome. He just doesn't know what to do. Maybe he could make it to hills or he couldn't. But he says, oh no, my Lord. Behold, your servant has found, if, if your servant has found favor in your sight and you have Show me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. So again, cities could be pretty little, and this was a littler one. Uh, let me escape there. Is this not a little one, and will not my life be saved? And he said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overstroy the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the, name of, therefore, the name of the city was called Zor, which means little. Um, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. And the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she came, became a pillar of salt. And, uh, the teaching here is often that uh, she looked back with longing. It's the idea that she regretted leaving even at the expense of that. So I don't know if that's a right interpretation of it because it is indeed an interpretation, but it seemed plausible. Um, and Abram went uh, early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So Abraham has failed in his quest, he thinks, to save any of the righteous. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and set Lot out in the midst of the overthrow which he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Things were pretty bad. You would think as bad as they could get, but there's another chapter here where they get worse, uh, or, or at least the awfulness continues. See, this, whether it's worse or not, the awfulness is still there. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come in and have 
after us is the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make for our father, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him, that he may preserve the offspring of our that we may preserve the offspring of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you will go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our offspring for our father, from our father. So they made their father drink wine again that night also. And the young girl arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he is the father of Moabites to this day. And the younger one also bore a son and named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So there's a lot here, a lot of sad stuff. So um, the, the daughters, I don't know how old they were, probably still in their late teens, maybe, maybe early 20s, but they're looking around and they're thinking there's no hope for, a, um, uh, for them to get married to someone and, and, and that would be destituteness for them. There's no one to take care of them in their old age. That's part of it. Um, and their life is a disaster, living in a cave by themselves with their father. Um, why they could not go out and go back into Zora someplace, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know what was going on there, but apparently that was not, they didn't think that was an option either. Um, and they hit upon the idea to make their father drunk because they knew their father wouldn't sleep with them willingly. And so, so they make him drunk, and when he's drunk and he can't remember what he's doing, he has sex with them. Um, again, horrible thing. So by incest, two, two people groups come, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now, they're important in Israel's history. The Moabites, for one thing, are the ones that made Israel sin before they went into the Promised Land by offering the Moabite women offered sexual favors to the men, and there was a uh, orgy, basically a group orgy in Israel with the Moabite women, and, uh, and uh, God struck them with a plague. Uh, and and uh, the Ammonites were also problematic, not as problematic. Um, and yet, the Moabites and Ammonites were neighbors with Israel in ancient Israel. Uh, and Ruth was a Moabitess, uh, and Ruth was in the lineage of Jesus. So there was this in and out type thing, but, but this people group that actually caused these difficulties that, that the people here receiving this for the first time are encountering, um, it helps them understand some of the background information on there. Um, but getting back to the problem here, because we can dance around this all I want, this is a horrible thing. What has happened here is horrible. A man um, who was with Abraham it, it chooses to live a life in a very prosperous but sinful city. And is so his, his sense of values are so twisted that he's willing to offer his, his daughters uh, uh, in a gang rape situation and later sleeps with them, even if unknowingly he sleeps with them, and has uh, incest, the, the children come out of this. Uh, didn't care for them enough to get them out and get them uh, family. Um, what's going on here? I have to, you have to say, um, uh, if, if, if this was all I had, I would say, I don't, so Lot, Lot did act 
good in some ways. I mean, he wanted the men to stay with him. He, uh, he made a horrible choice, but he was trying to protect the men. Um, he did go with the angels. He didn't turn back like his wife did. I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm grasping here to get the best I can out of Lot from what I can see in here, okay? And I can't really see a lot in there. Um, and, and, uh, and so if this is where it ended, I would have to say, um, what a tragic life, a life lost, okay? Um, but I do believe scripture is inspired. I do believe that the writers of scripture understood things that we don't understand. And when they wrote things, they wrote them on purpose, not by accident. And they weren't just showing their own feelings, their own preferences. And so I have to deal with the passage here in Second Peter, or chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, where, God, where Peter's warning, uh, lest we fall as Lot did. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be governed under judgment. Now he's talking about the angels I believe at the first fall when Satan fell with the other angels. Others believe this might have been the time of the flood, but I, I think it's separated. I think, and then he says, if he did not spare the ancient world or preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the, the world of the ungodly, if by, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment to the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So here we have to come to grips with the fact that that Peter calls Lot a righteous man, a righteous man who was greatly distressed day after day about living in Sodom. This is a difficult teaching, a very difficult teaching. I think it's here because it, and again, I, I ask you to spend time thinking about this and praying about this yourself. Um, and I'd welcome any feedback you might have on this. But, but um, I, think, I think it's clear here, right? Lot was a believer. And you say, well, what about the people that just pray and then live their lives? And it's just a mess of lives. That's not what was happening here, okay? Because Lot, Lot made a lot of bad decisions, but Lot apparently was a godly man. He lived a godly life in some areas. Um, and... But 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 you say but but the evil he did. How, how can you justify that? And it's like I can't. I don't think Scripture justifies that. I think Scripture condemns it very. But what Scripture says is that God will protect the people who He loves. He takes care of the people who love Him and want to be with them, even when they make these horrible decisions. But but Christians are supposed to be better than that. Believers shouldn't. Yes, exactly. But that doesn't mean that God ever lets go of his hand, no matter where it is. And I, I think we need to understand this, because I, I, it's very easy when we read the Gospels, and when Jesus and John the Baptist, they talk about that the that, uh, um, prostitutes and the tax collectors are coming in before you, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, 
Well, you need to understand what he's saying, that the, the, the people that are committing these bad things are still, are still want the relationship with God. They want to love God. Yes, what they're doing is wrong, and they know it's wrong, and, and hopefully they want to change. Lot wanted to change, but he was caught in a grip. It's not whether you, your life is together that determines if you're with God or not, or you love God or not. But there's also a lesson here is you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't love God and still live a wicked life and get away with it. Lot lost everything. I mean, he lost everything. Lost everything he had physically. He lost all the, all the uh, stature he might have had as an elder in the city. He lost his wife. His children sl- made him drunk and slept with him. What more could he have lost? Okay? You can't live a life of... You can't be a believer and say, I, a little bit of unrighteousness is okay, because it's, it's, a little bit becomes more and more. And then, it's, then sin controls you. You don't control sin. Jesus said, um, uh, as, as no one is discharged in time of war, so slave discharges no one in times of war. And there's a war going on for your souls now. And you might be a believer, and you might say, I could, that would never happen. In fact, I, I once had a pastor who said, it was, it was a pastor who was a good friend. He was talking about his, his best friend who had left his wife. He would, his best friend was a pastor who had left his wife to, had, to marry another woman. He said, I could never do that. I could never, ever do that. And it was just vehemence on there. And 25 years later, that same man almost did the same thing. He, they, they actually wound up getting into counseling and things didn't happen, but, it, but that happened. And, and I'm thinking, there is no depth that we wouldn't go to without God. And God will let us go. We have independent will, okay? But we will, we will suffer for it tremendously. And the point of redemption is that we will be redeemed in eternity. But the point of redemption is God wants to redeem us now, too. God wants to change our lives now. Lot didn't win by getting to do evil. Lot lost. Lot lost his life. I'm sure, as I get older, I look over my life, and I think I could have, I could have used the time to do this. Like, almost like Schindler's. If you watch Schindler's List at the end of it, Schindler's saying, I, I, I could have taken this pen and saved five people. I could have stole this car and saved a hundred people. And at the end of our lives, and this is where I think Lot was, I, I could have, I could have, and he didn't. The gift we have now is the gift of God to change our lives to make a positive difference in others' lives and in our lives and to learn to love God more. Lot is an example of someone who was a believer who ruined his life. The comfort of it is God never lets go of those who love him. But God never lets us get by with sin either. It does does have an outpouring. What changes ultimately is that our sins are forgiven in Christ and we are reborn without that sin. So Lot will be up there. And I don't know, it's hard to picture things in the great uh, beyond. If there'll be, if there, because it says there'll be no more sorrow, but it's hard for me not to believe that there might not have been sorrow, that there could have been something more made of his life. I don't know. I know that, that that's what I feel now. And I think, God, I want to do more. I want to, I want to be different. Um, 
And so I, that's what I take from here. And if you, again, if you react very strongly and there's no way, he's a, I, I challenge you, do you really believe what Jesus was saying when he was saying that the prostitutes and tax collectors come before? There are a lot of unrighteous people. What determines, what determines whether or not we're with God is our love for God and our fellowship with God. And God's Holy Spirit will change things in our lives. But if things don't change because we still resist and yet we still love, there is an eternity with God. That's what he calls us to. He calls us not to wait until we're all cleaned up to come to him. Uh, he calls us to come to him and he will clean us up. Lot stands as an example of someone as an outlier who never got cleaned up. I don't think that's, I think this is a way, way extreme example, but it's there in here to help us understand it's not about what we do, it's about who we love, okay? In very stark terms. So I take an extra time on here to do that. Fortunately, there are some other things that hit close to this bath in the Old Testament, uh, but not as bad as this. I think this is the worst I, I see. Uh, and I say there's redemption even in the worst uh, by the grace of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you for your great love to us. We thank you that um, though we stray, you have called us to you and you have promised that you will not let us go, that you will, you will stay in our lives, you will persevere, and that you will not let us go. And I thank you for that. I pray that you will cleanse our lives, that you would give us the desire uh, to live a life that's pure uh, and, and undefiled in your presence, and that you would give us the strength to do that by your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We know Lot didn't have the Holy Spirit with him all the time, but we do. And I just pray that we would open our hearts and minds and, and souls to the strength that comes, the power that comes through the Holy Spirit to change lives. Help us, Lord, to love you more. Thank you for your great goodness in our lives. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.